Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up before Christmas Day. Today on the show, going to recap the Saturday games, the terrible Saturday games. Also going to look at the 32 first-rounders in 2021 and give a confidence-level rating, uh, one being Isaiah Wilson, 10 being Justin Jefferson on how good they are, how worried we are. And then at the back end of the show, I got an interview with DeMarvin Leal, Texas AM defensive tackle, and Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Should be an absolute treat. Let's get it. never betting the Raiders again. I'm never betting the Raiders again. They were favored by three against a COVID-ridden Cleveland Browns team under their third-string quarterback with Kevin Stefanski out as well. Favored by three, and they only win by two. Derek Carr stinks. This team stinks. I am upset. Oh, man. They still won, though. I know they they, they still still won. They still kept themselves Why didn't they blow them out? Playoff contention. Um, But, man, 16 points. Like you said, now the defense, it wasn't as COVID riddled as the offense for the Browns, uh, but their offense has been straight up shit since Henry Ruggs got arrested, since Henry Ruggs got off the team. Like they're, they just do not have the explosiveness that they had early on the season. And obviously offensive lines in shambles, but yeah, the Raiders, it's back to the drawing board for them this offseason. They're kind of, we're going to get to the Bears later, but them and the Bears are in tough situations right now, yeah. seemingly, with like that that middle ground. And now the Bears are maybe a little less than the middle ground in terms of where they're going to end up draft-wise. But that kind of middle ground where you have average talent on your roster. You don't have elite players. You don't have great draft positioning. And there's no real quick fix for mm-hmm. where they're at. I mean, I want to spend a little time on that because I had a tweet prepped if they lost. It wouldn't have hit since they won. But I, I, I sarcastically wrote, I still feel that the Raiders are in a really good position to win with Derek Carr if they replace the right side of their offensive line, make upgrades at three yeah. receiving points, add eight pl- upgrades on starters, and get a new coach, and get a new front office. Mm. That's the issue with the Raiders. The Raiders is, is Derek Carr is good, but Sounds the supporting like cast has been bad for 20 years. They're entering year 2021 20, of a rebuild. They've had one flash in the pan with Derek Carr when all everything hit with Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, a top three offensive line, and a defense that wasn't complete garbage. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks his leg, and they haven't been able to claw back into that because they've made bad decisions on the sideline with coaches, bad decisions with GMs, and have failed when they traded away Cleo Mack, traded away Amari Cooper to actually rebuild this team, move on from Derek Carr, not because he's shit, not even because he's average. Move on from Derek Carr because he's one of your best players, but your roster is literally incapable of competing with him because you're like le- they're legitimately like 16 starters away from being yeah. a legitimate team. This is the sad thing is here, and now they are 7-7, seven, seven but they do have like a minus 80 point differential against like they've kind of snuck by to get seven, seven. Sad thing is they should be entering a situation where the back end of Derek Carr's contract was favorable. favorable. Yeah. $22 million cap hit this year, $19.8 million cap hit next year. He like that for a starter in today's NFL is about a top half, 12 yes, to, you know, a top 12 to 10 quarterback is a good $10 million less than every other guy in that range is getting, if not more than that, less. So 
they should be entering a window where they can make some plays. And all of a sudden they're entering a window where it's like, what do we rebuild again? Because shit, some of your best players, Max Crosby's going to be coming up for a deal here soon. Uh, I mean, Casey Hayward's one of your best defenders. He's only on a one-year deal. Uh, obviously you need a new receiving core. Uh, it's just not, the cupboard is empty. You got some like ramen noodles left. Mm-hmm. That's well, but the, my take there, though, is right. Do we enter a rebuild again? Is you have to. You have to get a new coach. They're probably going to move on from Mike Mayock. They're going to reset on that side. Mm-hmm. You're going to probably that's going to lead to more drastic or brash decisions in the roster department. They rank tenth in 2022 cap space available entering this offseason. They can make upgrades in free agency if they bring in someone who can identify actual upgrades. They spent yeah. big money on Corey Littleton, big money on the Marcus Joyner. They made a trade for Antonio Brown. They've drafted terribly. They need someone to come in and actually make good decisions for this roster first and foremost. But by the time it's competitive, you're going to have to pay Derek Carr again because Derek Carr is entering, what, the last year of his deal? And Derek Carr is not going to look for another $19, $20 million cap hit. This guy wants Kirk Cousins' money. He's going to go 30 32 33 I think he will ask for that money, and they'll have to pay him if they want to keep him. And at that point, you re-enter the situation where you don't have a ton of cap space, you can't add upgrades around Derek Carr, and you have to hit on your draft picks, something they've legitimately proven they can't do. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, they still did win this game. And I think the <laughs> other side of the ball is the one that had a lot more riding, at least for this season, because they had legitimate Super Bowl and AFC North aspirations the Cleveland Browns did. And they they have a massive uphill climb. I, I would be over. floored. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be floored now if they ended up making the playoffs. It's it's brutal in Cleveland right now. That's another team where they have a quarterback, but they're not in this situation right where they've already paid him. Like mm-hmm. the decision on Baker Mayfield is going to be a wild one in the near future for Cleveland. Let's get to the other game as well, which was equally unwatchable, pretty ugly play on both sides of the ball. Vikings end up winning this game, and they kind of had the comfortable lead the entire time. I think there was some fire Matt Nagy chants in the stands. Um, you heard, uh, I think it was one of the Barstool guys we were talking before, Barstool who Carl. said, after further review, we suck. Vikings win 17-9. I think they were favored by three and a half, or I'm not sure what it closed at, actually. Oh, no, it favored at seven. It closed at seven. Vikings favored by seven. Kirk Cousins doesn't even throw for more than 90 yards in this game, and they still find a way to win. Bears offense looked abysmal in this game. Defensively, it was awful. That's another team that needs a reset, but they're in obviously a different position than the Raiders in that they don't necessarily need to make a decision at quarterback. They just need to continue to develop him, but they need to throw the literal kitchen sink at propping up Justin Fields that includes offensive coordinator, that includes coach, and then also spending where they can in free agency to upgrade this offense and um, really find out if this quarterback is good. Yeah, they look like Nagy's last stand on the sideline, him just like reaming the oh, refs. Oh, dude, yeah, got a penalty for screaming. <laughs> yeah, that was, I'm not sure if I've seen that this year yet. I got a coach just getting a penalty purely for chewing out the refs as hard as he did. And obviously some frustration over how the season has gone, but I mean, it's, Look in the mirror for the frustration, for yeah. for where this is stemming from. Because I think I tweeted it last night. They're, I haven't talked about this much, but they run wildcat snaps with Justin Fields at quarterback. They Trey Lance has more designed runs for him this year than Justin Fields does. Trey Lance has started one game. <laughs> it's it's like it now. I, I don't. I get not wanting to hurt your rookie quarterback, but the drop back passing game and how they're scheming that is also getting him hurt. Because, like, they can't – he's just doesn't have long enough to execute a lot of the concepts they're running. And, obviously, the knock on him was he takes sacks, holds on to the football, and we're still seeing that. 
now, the fourth quarter was great. I mean, obviously from Justin Fields. I, mm-hmm. I thought once he got into a rhythm passing, once they let him and obviously opened up the playbook, didn't have any other really options there. And obviously on the other side of the football, you're not seeing the same coverages that you may in a tighter game. But I thought he looked great down the stretch. Those are why you buy into his physical tools, what he's capable of. That's like, if you're a Bears fan, that's who you can hang your hat on. But the first three quarters of this game were decidedly ugly and Bears offensively. For the Vikings, still now in this race for an NFC playoff spot. I think if the if the playoffs start today, they'd have the seventh seed at seven and seven. Other teams in the hunt, Saints at seven and seven, Washington football team at six and seven, and then the Eagles at six and seven, all vying for that last spot. Whereas the other like wild card teams are the Rams at nine and four and the 49ers at eight and six. I like the Vikings of that group. Of the Vikings, Saints, Washington, Eagles, I am in on the Vikings being the best of that group and deserving of a playoff spot. Now, that they means... They do have a tough schedule. They though. do have a tough schedule, and that means Kirk Cousins has to play better football, has to be more productive, and this offense overall has to be more productive. Now, they didn't have Adam Thielen last night. That's obviously a factor, but I don't think that's an excuse for 87 passing yards, man. They need to get better in a hurry if they're going to score with some of the top teams in the NFC. The team that has probably the easiest schedule going in of the teams of that mix is, a, I believe, I think the Eagles. Yeah, they have. They play well. So, h- however you view Washington, they play them twice. They play the Giants, and they play the Cowboys at home, which could be a meaningless game positionally for the Cowboys. May not. Could be though, and they may be resting starters, depending on that. Saints also have a fairly easy entrance into the barn here for the last three games. They have Dolphins, Panthers, Falcons, so they could win out themselves. Vikings, on the other hand, they have the Packers. Uh, they have the. Who's the other team they have in their schedule? Last three games, the Rams. Something weekend, Packers and Rams. The, like that, the Pat. Yes, good to get a win there, but that's still a tough schedule into the last three here. It looks like they may only get one more win. Let's get off these games and get into the meat of the show. We want to look at the all thirty-two first rounders, their grades, season to date, and then put. You're saying a one to ten confidence rating. One being Isaiah Wilson, literally on the roof of a car at a mall, a strip mall. And then 10 being Justin Jefferson potentially should have won Offensive Rookie of the Year, really confident in his ability, confident in him as a rookie. Before we do, X-Chair is a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and many of our accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That's the letter X, chair, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E.com or call one 844 x chair for $100 off your first order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Xsharetailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. If you are getting someone a Christmas gift, and you are not at least considering the X chair, I think you're making a mistake. If you got someone, a loved one, a friend that sits in a chair often, I think X chair is something to consider. I lean back in it on uh, Sundays, the 4 p.m. slates. Usually, How'd that go? I'm just watching on my computer. It's great. Do you feel the dynamic patented lumbar? I put the, I put the, uh, the massage setting on. Just chill. Love that. Let's get into these rookies. Number one overall pick was Trevor Lawrence. Year to date, he is has a 57.9 PFF grade, which is one of the lowest in the NFL among quarterbacks. He has not played all that well this year. And a lot of that has been 
situation, right? Urban, Bevel. He's throwing to Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> they're, they're, it's not a good offensive line. It's mm-hmm. played better than I think people maybe have expected, but still not a good offensive line. Where are you right now in confidence? One being he's Isaiah Wilson. Ten being he's Justin Jefferson. I'm going to give him a seven. I'm That's still high. very confident in Trevor Lawrence becoming a franchise quarterback. I, I am not giving up. on like uh, The grade's not great. There's no sugarcoating it. He has not overcome his talent level in a meaningful way. He still does miss more throws than I would hope, but I'm not going to come off my prior that much. It's it's done nothing to basically shake me of that. We've talked about rookie season. We said it with a lot of those second-year breakout guys. Damn near meaningless at a lot of positions. Now, when you're good, you, you would much rather than be good, and it's not completely meaningless. There's a much more likely chance of a guy being a bust when he's not good year one. That's mm-hmm. that's a straight fact because yeah, like all busts, you know, 99.9% of busts are also not good year one. So obviously it sways the chances a little bit, and that's why the confidence level has taken off from the pre-draft, which would have been a 10, down to a 7. But I'm still not unconfident in him turning things around. I, I think of the rookie quarterbacks, Mac Jones has been the most impressive, but I would still take Trevor Lawrence over Mac Jones going forward. Into year two. I think everyone would, right? I don't know if there's a lot of analysts that would say after what we've seen, even through this season, and as good as Mac Jones has yeah. been, I think he's the favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think Jamar Chase would have to have an otherworldly finish to steal that from Mac Jones. I still would take Trevor Lawrence over Mac Jones. I think I think I, I sit in this like six and a half to seven and a half tier, right? Because like there's so much wrong with the Jags. Mm-hmm. Quan Treadwell, Tavon Austin are the guys that he's throwing to the most. And Jamal Agnew, before he got hurt, was the other guy who was like a core special teamer. Yeah. This has been a disastrous. They, they have, yeah, I was going to say, they have starting wide receivers who got cut from the Falcons who probably have the second worst wide receiving core in the NFL at this moment. It, it's, so, a, it's rough. You know, it's rough. Like, and I think now if you see another season of this and with, with when, when they make, you know, in upgrades ideally on the sideline and upgrades in offense, that seven starts to get closer to a six. But right now, I think I'm in that six and a half to seven tier. Yeah. I think I'll commit to the seven with you. Trevor Lawrence, still very confident. Jags need to add a coach. I saw some rumors about Dabo Sweeney. I don't go back to the college well, in my opinion. Bring in someone who can legitimately, like, manage adults. That's all. The, uh, the, the bar is low. Manage an adult. Manage an adult. That's it. Come in and manage an adult, and I think they'll be okay. Uh, Number two, Zach Wilson. Can I start? It's not as high as a seven. I'm leaning more six. Lowest I'd probably go is a five and a half in terms of confidence that he'll develop into Mm -hmm. a confident star. And the biggest reason for that is, I think Benjamin Solak wrote an excellent article for The Ringer. He's an analyst. You can follow him on Twitter. I think his Twitter handle is Benjamin Solak. But about how it just he's been shit this year. <laughs> Zach Wilson has not played well. No, no, the supporting cast isn't good. No, Mekhi Becton has been hurt. It's, you know, Michael Fleur, Robert Sala, new coaching staff, whatever. But the reason I think you're not as excited as you are with Trevor Lawrence, who also hasn't played well, you know, Zach Wilson's grade this year is a 58, and Trevor Lawrence is a 57.9. They both haven't played well. The issue for me has been Zach Wilson doesn't look a lot like what he looked like at BYU. Like you're yes. seeing inaccuracy you didn't see on his BYU tape. You're seeing reactions to pressure that you didn't like literally didn't see on his BYU tape. He's regressed as the season has progressed mm-hmm. more than he has improved. Whereas Trevor Lawrence has like consistently been a high performer in bunches and has not thrown tape out that you just yeah. literally have never seen before. Wilson, mm-hmm. on the other hand, has put tape out that has been heinous. Stuff you did not see yeah. at BYU, so much that you are, I think, concerned. Then you factor in the level of competition upgrade. 
what does the what do the Jets have to do to get good Zach Wilson back? I don't think that question is as clear of an answer. Yeah, so I, I think there's fewer positives is the better best way to describe it with Wilson. There's fewer things. You watch a full game of him, and you're like, oh, that's, you know, that he does that every time you're an NFL, you're an elite NFL quarterback. The amount of plays he makes like that are one or two a game. Whereas Trevor Lawrence, it's like a half dozen to a dozen a game. So I think that's the biggest difference. Why I'm probably going to go five for Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's reason there's reason to throw a four out there. I mean, it has been bad. It yeah. has been awful for Zach Wilson. And I said this, I think, on another show or maybe even last you know, yesterday's podcast. But the number one thing the Jets have to do is not win football games. They have to find out if Zach Wilson's good. They need to throw the kitchen sink this offseason in the draft and in free agency at adding offensive players to prop Zach Wilson up and eliminate excuses. Literally the opposite yeah. of the other East Rutherford yes. playing team. Dan, they, all the Giants have done in the years that they've had Daniel Jones is find excuses for why he's playing like shit. Injuries, the offensive line, mm-hmm. the receiving core, Saquon Barkley's been hurt, you know, offensive coordinator hasn't you know done anything well. No more excuses. The Jets can't have, have excuses in year two. They need to legitimately shit or get off the pot with Zach Wilson as fast as you can. I said this, I think, on the NFL show. The worst, you know, when you were paying rookie quarterbacks in the draft, like $60 million guaranteed, like what you did with Jamarcus Russell, the worst thing you could do is pick a bad one. Now, with rookie contracts, the worst thing you could do isn't pick a bad one. It's commit to a bad one. Yeah. And it's commit long-term and pass on quarterbacks because you're still trying to play things out. Whereas you can, you know, draft and dump like the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen and find a quicker path to success. No one in Arizona mm-hmm. is complaining that they moved on from Josh Rosen that quickly. They got the number one overall pick again. They had a chance at a really rock star quarterback. I don't think I've ever said rock star on this show. And they got him. Kyler Murray now putting them in rock position star. to compete, compete for a Super Bowl. On to Trey Lance. I don't. I, I put this as a incomplete. That's fine. I, I go. I like incomplete for the guys who really haven't played. I think incomplete. He has not played a ton of snaps this season. Uh, I think he has a sixty grade on the year, but like it's on like I think fewer than hundred snaps. How many snaps has he even played this year? I'm gonna look it up. Well, he has one start. So on <laughs> one start, and it was objectively not great. That was against Arizona. Mm-hmm. It wasn't much positive to write home about. He's still dynamic as a runner. Still has a cannon for an arm, and he's still only twenty one years old. So incomplete. Incomplete, only 116 offensive snaps so far this year. And like you said, one start did not look great. On to Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, for the people who like like poison themselves by watching Atlanta Falcons games, they are hard to watch, man. They are ugly. They are gross. Not a lot of positives in those games. He's been pretty fucking awesome. Kyle Pitts has been great. 77.9 PFF grade so far this year. It's one of the highest I think we've seen from a rookie tight end since Hunter Henry in 2016. He has been objectively good. And see, you've seen a lot of the same things you've seen at Florida, in addition to some more. They don't use his yak ability as much as I thought they would. They target him downfield. They yeah. target him against corners, and he wins in contested catch situations. I'm willing to go eight here. I think I'd go as high as an eight in terms of him panning out to be a legitimately game-changing tight end in the NFL. I'm going nine. Wow. Almost 10. Because he's fourth in the NFL in yards right now. And it's like, yeah, he is their number one option. Some of that's because they don't have anyone else of the top 10 tight ends in receiving yardage. He has the lowest completion percentage when targeted. Like a lot of that's because he gets forced to the football. So, yeah, that, that's part of it. But the guy's 21 years old. Like we talked about this a lot. So, yeah. He doesn't get the sort of. He doesn't get the benefit of the learning curve that a lot of people do because he's such a high pick. Fourth overall pick, you expect that guy, you know, hit the ground running. 
but he's still kind of adjusting to the position in a big way. Like he, he deserves some deference in that regard too. And for him to be this good this early, I, I want to almost go 10 with him. Like this is got this, he's going to be there. Mm-hmm. He's, shit. He's about to get a thousand yards as a rookie as a tight end. I, I yeah, I, I find, I struggle to poke too many holes in this game at this point. I think this next guy will be interesting. I'm interested to hear what your number is. Jamar Chase, who is second right now in odds to win offensive rookie of the year. He had an absolutely blazing start yeah. to the season. However, I don't know if I go as high as Pitts with Chase. Okay. I like a seven and a half for Jamar Chase. Better than Trevor Lawrence, or maybe even in that tier with Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I might put him at a seven. I think mm-hmm. seven, like right with Trevor Lawrence. Jamar Chase has played well. Played really well. Blazing start. He's won on a very select few of routes to start the season. A lot of go balls, a lot of vertical stuff. And he's won in a lot of similar ways and dropped a lot of balls. What I want to see, you know, when you compare his game to CeeDee Lamb, compare his game to Justin Jefferson, I want to see more variety and more versatility in how Jamar Chase is winning and more consistency, right? Like he Mm -hmm. has been somewhat of a boomer bust receiver for the Bengals. He either gets open deep and catches a long touchdown or he ends up with three yards like he did this past week. That concerns me a bit. I still have confidence in him panning out. I still Similar in that Trevor Lawrence tier, I think I'm going to commit to a seven with Jamar Chase. I'm going to go nine. He's already over a thousand yards. To me, his rookie season is a lot like Amari Cooper's rookie season where it's like there's one problem and it's drops. Like it's like inconsistency at the catch point where it drops, contest catches. That was Amari Cooper. And oh, yeah, it really didn't matter long-term. Like, he figured that out to a degree. Drops have never really been an issue for him in Dallas since he's gotten there. So what we're saying, what's more predictive, him being able to get open or him dropping football? It's him being able to get open. So I'm going to go nine. I think that's fair. Fine, fine. A little difference there. Uh, Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle has been sick this year. Yeah. 78.7 PFF grade. Didn't play in week 15 due to injury, but he is winning exactly... Is how the Miami Dolphins want him to win, and they are leveraging him in that direction. I put him seven, seven and a half as well, maybe even all the way up to an eight. I think I'll go eight with Jalen Waddle and him panning out to be exactly the role that Miami want, drafted him to be. He is going to be their Tyree Kill, Kadarius Tony type that you can get him the ball at any area of the field within 10 yards, down 10 mm-hmm. yards, and he's going to win um, after the catch and before the catch. Here we go. First one, 10. 10. Jalen Waddle's getting a 10 confidence level for me. I haven't watched him. Um, Closely, he is up there with like top 15 wide receivers right in the NFL. That guy gets wow. open, elite level, ball skills are there. He's 12 of 16 in contested catches this year. Incredible like in contested catch situations this year. He has been everything. And the only thing that really hasn't been is the deep area, and a lot of that's the offense and Tua. So, yeah, Jalen Waddle, and, and that's like his most dangerous thing and hasn't even been tapped into. So, Jalen Waddle, yeah, I'm going 10. I'm very confident in him. I love that. 10. Top 10. 15 receiver in the NFL. Put it's going to be a, a few quote graphic. Put it on a quote graphic. Well, this next one, I think, is a 10. Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell has been fucking phenomenal this year. And you know, people talked about the slow start, couldn't play right tackle, couldn't play left tackle, allowed some sacks in the preseason. He has not just been great. He has improved like every single week. And like if you remove the first four weeks of the season, I think he's like top three in PFF grade among offensive tackles. He has been... Nothing short of phenomenal. He showed up as a run blocker in a big way. And I think he is another really young player in that Kyle Pitts tier of age that he's only going to get better as he goes. He's not having a Tristan Wirfs-like rookie campaign, but it's fucking close. Like, Panay Sewell is, like, tier two in terms of rookie seasons at the offensive tackle position. You should, I feel like a 10, nine and a half at the lowest. 
Yeah, I'm probably going to go nine, just a touch below, because the pat in terms of pass protection, Worf's his rookie year, 82.8 pass blocking grade. Sewell much better of late, still at 63, 68.3. A lot of that obviously the early season struggle, so I'm not going to hold it against him too much, but. Yeah, it's between 9 and 10. He, he's as advertised, and like you said, only 21 still. On to J.C. Horn. Not played a lot, started the year well, 67.8 PFF grade, and then obviously had the injury. I think I'd lean more incomplete with him. Yeah, I think incomplete's fair. Three I mean, he's only, he's only played 142 snaps, three games. And it was good, a good three games. So honestly, if we're going to lean anywhere, it would be in the positive realm. It would be in the 8-7-8 the eight, eight range. Mm-hmm. But... It's just too much. Three games is not enough to really make a sweeping decision off someone, especially when you faced the Jets, the Saints, and the Texans in those three games. I got another 10 next here. Patrick Sertan. Patrick Sertan is a fucking 10. He has been sick. He has been veteran Mm -hmm. so far this year. He has been... I think he's had a better season than Trayvon Diggs this year. He has not allowed 100 yards in any game this year. That You probably, if you go back and look at every rookie cornerback in PFF history... There were very few that did not allow 100 yards in a single game mm-hmm. their first season. He's only allowed three touchdowns, four interceptions, six passes defense. People aren't throwing at him either. Very low target per coverage snap. He has been phenomenal. I think he's going to develop into one of the league's best at the position. I think he's one of the future stars at cornerback in the NFL. Like He's going to enter this Ramsey, Lattimore, Humphrey tier of young quarterbacks dominating the NFL. I'm not ready to quite go that far, but I will go nine. Okay. Is definitely in that tier of it. And because the reason being was because of his, he was billed and like his Alabama tape was NFL ready. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the other concerns were more physical than, and now it's not saying he doesn't possess enough physical tools, but it's not like, uh, gosh, who was a guy that was also NFL ready? Like it's not like <laughs> Rayshon Slater, who NFL ready, also an elite athlete playing at elite level, like when we get to him, he's going to be a 10. So Patrick Sertan, just going to go nine. Devontae Smith. I don't know if that made any fucking sense. I don't know if it did either. Devontae Smith, the 10th pick in the draft. He has been very good this year. Very good this year. Um, Has, I believe, 701 yards. He's averaging, I think, over two yards per route run. He has been, or no, 1.67 yards per route run. But he has gotten consistently created separation, has not had any issues with drops. I think the the inconsistency with his game has been some of the accuracy from Jalen Hurts, but also has been not all that great in contested catch situations and getting fed a lot of contested targets. Six of 19 in contested catch situations, still creating, if you turn on the tape, a ton of separation, but... I think some of his production is quarterback play. I'd lean eight and a half, nine with Devontae Smith and him developing into exceeding or like at or exceeding expectations. Like people came in, he's going to be a number one receiver. He's going to be Amari Cooper levels of number one receiver. I think eight and a half, nine is where I'd lean in terms of confidence in him hitting that expectation. Yeah, I think eight. I, I feel good about him. I don't feel like when you watch Chase and when you watch Waddle, you see special, special plays. And, and, that's not a knock. Like you can be a top, you can Smooth, be an elite, solid. you can be an elite NFL receiver and not wow every you know and not have to have these wow wow reps. But I just think he's very he's a number one type of wide receiver is going to be for a while. But I'm just not sure you're getting you know the next big thing. 
I, I still feel, I mean, Devontae Smith's and, production is not as good as what he's been on tape. That's a fact. Yeah, like, okay, go back and that, watch yeah. all of his routes. Go back and watch all of his targets. You'll see he's consistently creating separation. He's not struggling with press. Like, some of those concerns that we had because he's so thin, not showing up. It is showing up a bit in contested catch yeah. situations, and you. but I don't think you should be concerned at his contested target rate. Like, he's creating a ton of separation. Some of these throws are late. Some of these throws are being thrown into contested situations from Jalen Hurts. Pick number 11, Justin Fields. Played last there night. Oh, man, this one's tough. I'm not putting him in the Trevor Lawrence 7 tier. Mm -hmm. I am putting Fields in the 6.5 to 6 tier. He's better than Wilson. Wilson's thinking it's like a 5.5, 6. I would give Fields 6.5 in terms of developing into a franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He has played well, but the sack to pressure rate or the pressure to sack conversion is tough. The... um. I mean, that's been the biggest concern. Him handling a bad supporting cast in Chicago has been up and down a roller coaster in terms of production, but actually has been good pushing the ball downfield. His athleticism is on par, if not better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that are, you know, these athletic types. I, I think six and a half is where I sit. I'm going to go seven. I, I I like what I've seen feels a lot more than Wilson. I mean, like in terms of just like things that you can hang your hat on this rookie season. And the biggest being is that he has been legitimately dynamic as a runner. And that's just not getting tapped into at all in the Bears offense. That I think is the biggest thing. Is you have an offense that looks nothing like how you would put together an offense for Justin Fields. And you have plays, quarters, stretches on his tape that he looks like the Ohio State guy. Now, yeah. it's very inconsistent still. And there is still plays like the, the, the screwed up handoff or screwed up snap they then kneels and gets hit yesterday there are plays that just are like what the hell is he doing or what the hell is going on that just looked like he's still very much a rookie but i mean we didn't see those last year at ohio state like those will get cleaned up those don't happen in year four or five that just i mean that never happens we're like these that will not be the case at that point in time so i think those things will get smoothed out i still feel very confident and at least the floor of fields mm -hmm. being quality at a competent NFL starting quarterback. I mean, the offensive line improves. You add to this receiving core and give him a competent offensive play caller, and I think he he ascends. Like, yes. he has the tools that you... I mean, the Zach Wilson conversation, I thought, was really good. Zach Wilson was expected to do X because you saw X at BYU. Yeah. You haven't seen it. You haven't seen X. You've seen fucking exactly. Y and, 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 and trash. With Fields, you expected Fields to do X, X being accurate, athletic, and, downfield pass. You know, and able to push the ball downfield. He's done those things only in spurts. Yeah. And he still needs to improve against pressure, and he still can't take the bad sacks that he does. I think he leads the NFL in EPA lost on sacks because he takes a shitload of bad sacks. But you know who takes bad sacks? Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, these guys that think they can do you know, more than what Aaron other Rodgers quarterbacks can. Three years and, ago. Huh? Aaron Rodgers, like three years ago. True, so. true. Number 12. I don't know if we got to spend too much time on this one. Michael Parsons, 10. He's third in odds to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's the obvious favorite and will win Defensive Rookie of the Year. He can play linebacker. He can play defensive end. The only concern with Parsons coming out was the off-field stuff. That's the only reason, right? Like, did you have other well, knocks on Parsons? Like, legitimately it, no, knocks. So, like, he had a limited coverage role at Penn State, and it was TBD of how he would translate in that regard. But... The dude hasn't allowed, he's, in the last three games, he's been targeted five times, hasn't allowed a catch. He broke up a pass on Kenny Galladay on a wheel route yesterday. That last was gross for Galladay. There needs to be more conversation <laughs> on Galladay. We don't have we pods don't, we on don't bad need the, players, but like yeah. Galladay has been freaking horrendous this year. Yeah, but Mike Parsons, 
athletically what he could do, it was going to happen. Even if it's just like, hey, have him play man coverage every time or have him do a very limited role in coverage where limited in scope and where he has to just, you know, look at one guy or look at, you know, a simple assignment. The dude's going to be able to execute it because I had not seen a linebacker at that size move the way he did as a sophomore again mm-hmm. back at Penn State. He was a special prospect. I thought he got very much overthought. And like I said, the only thing the only thing I had concern-wise was the off-field. So dropping him to 12 overall. Dude, as long as Micah Parsons doesn't bully a Cowboys teammate, I think he's going to be like an exactly. all-pro, like a, like a perennial all-pro. Yeah. Like that was the biggest concern we had with him, right? Like yeah. some of those, you read I mean, I some of those. I wasn't worried about him bullying him. I didn't think it was anything that was going to happen at the NFL level. It was just that was something. The decision-making of that, yeah, right? Exactly. Like it's like if you made those decisions in college – where does that show up in the NFL? More bad decisions. Maybe it's not still literally bad. going from bullying people yeah. at Penn State to bullying kids at the NFL, but it is like still that like wear and tear of that. But anyway, Rashawn Slater. The wear and tear. The wear and tear. <laughs> Pick number 13. Chargers grab Rashawn Slater. It's like ironic considering what the allegations were, but continue. Nine and a half, ten for Rashawn Slater. Ten. I mean, he's in ten that he's Slater. in that Sewell tier for me. Yeah. Ten for Rashawn Slater. He's Pro Bowl left tackle already, if not in the all pro conversation. Not first team all pro, obviously, because Trent Williams exists, but in the conversation, probably second team. He might get my vote for left tackle second team because he's been healthy all year. Besides this past week when he got COVID, yeah, he is as advertised. 79.9 pass blocking grade this season. Been that's like I said, Worfs was just over that last year, but not a lot of guys have played at worst level. So I'm very confident. NFL getting lucky with some tackle talent here. Slater, True. Sewell, Worfs. I mean, Beckton rare, healthy. Rare couple years here, for sure. And then this upcoming class is also good. Like, this tackle class is also good. Ika McQuan, Evan Neal, there's a lot of freaks at that position entering the NFL right now. Pick 14, Elijah Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker has had some really, really impressive plays as a Mm -hmm. run blocker this year for the Giants. I mean, not Giants, for the Jets. There have been concerns in pass protection more than there have been as a a run blocker. And I still feel that the expectations for Elijah Vera Tucker were we're going to draft him and we don't have to draft a guard for 15 years. Like that was what everyone talked about. Safe, high floor, productive player. It's going to happen. I'd put confidence level on him hitting those expectations given what we've seen so far at a seven, like in that Trevor Lawrence tier. I think he can do that. I think he can hit that. Now allowing 25 pressures at guard where Slater has allowed 22 in the games he's played. He has not been that level of productive, but I still think he can develop into that as he moves forward. Offensive line, Worf, Slater, Sewell, these guys are fucking outliers, man. Like yeah. get, Hitting the ground running the NFL offense, along the offensive line is very difficult. I think he improves as his career progresses. I like seven. Maybe even a little higher than that. He's, he's going to be very good. There, you've seen the flashes, mm-hmm. but I, I just think it's been a little up and down. Obviously going from left tackle last year, played left guard two years ago, but left tackle last year to left guard this year. And been just fine so i, I i'll go you know seven. we've been really high so far i think the lowest so far is zach well, wilson at like a five and a half i right? said it i mean before the draft there, who was i someone asked me he's like who's going to be a bust at the top of this draft and i'm like out, out outside of the quarterbacks where it's like shit good luck trying to predict who's going to be a bust and who's not the position players at the top of the draft were elite yeah like it was a blue chip class at the top i didn't think any of those guys were going to be a bust and shit, I don't think any of them are still. Yeah. We're 14 picks in. I don't think any guy that I'm worried about. Wilson would be the worst, right? I mean, Wilson. But I'm saying position players, yeah, quarterbacks. Oh, okay. But the position players, there's not a single guy we're below seven on right now. 15, Mac Jones. 
81.5 PFF grade so far this year. Might finish the season with the highest rookie PFF grade we've ever handed to a quarterback in since 2006. He has been phenomenal. And in terms of, I always go back to expectations, right? What were his expectations going in? To come in, operate the offense, be extremely accurate. He doesn't have the arm talent that these other guys have, but he can be on time, the accuracy, mm -hmm. the timing, all that stuff. And he has fucking hit the nail on the damn head. Now, is he... He still has shown he doesn't have this like Fields Lawrence like ceiling. Like he's shown that he doesn't have that. However, what he does have is still very damn good and winnable in yeah. the NFL. I think he's at a nine, nine and a half in terms of what people expected from him and where he's hitting. Yeah, I think nine's fair. And now it's yeah. like even if you're getting this guy for the rest of his career, that's a starter. Yeah, like it's a hundred percent. You know, it's not, a high end starter. Yeah. It's a top twelve, top ten starter. It's like a slightly better version right now of Teddy Bridgewater is what I think you're getting out of Mac Jones play-wise. And that's, again, a starter in the NFL because Teddy Bridgewater has been a fucking starter for forever. That if you're getting that as a rookie, which you didn't really get that from Teddy Bridgewater as a rookie, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, that bodes well for your future. So 11th <laughs> highest, or excuse me, ninth highest graded pass, ninth best passing grade in the NFL right now. I wouldn't call him probably a top 10 quarterback right now. Mm -hmm. But even if, I'm trying to think, like even if your ceiling's, Kirk Cousins, which was kind of the guy I kept going back to with him throughout the draft process. That's still, like I said, a nine. He plays like this throughout his rookie contract. He will be consistently competing for Super Bowl. Yes. That's a fact. Now, the issue, not the issue, but like the, the challenge, the challenge, the opportunity the Patriots will have to be more positive about it will be how do you win with Mac Jones when you pay him 35 mil? Yeah. You know, how do you well, win with... Kirk Cousins when you pay him 30, 35 mil to build a roster around a guy that is limited. Everyone would say Mac Jones is limited to, to build a roster around a guy that's limited and paid a shitload of money is difficult. We've seen that with every team trying to compete for a Super Bowl right now. Derek Carr, yeah. Kirk Cousins, these guys that have, you know, that fringe top 12 to top eight quarterback, but don't have the money to spend big. Now the Patriots have the money to spend big now, and they will continue to do so mm -hmm. at, with Mac Jones on this rookie contract. The challenge will be when he comes off that rookie contract. Pick 16, Zayvon Collins. I think this conversation will be interesting. He has, in my opinion, shown a lot of what we saw at Tulsa. Now, he's also shown a lot of what we didn't see at Tulsa, like bad coverage ability at times, you know, kind of felt, I feel like overmatched at times um, when asked to not go in a straight line. Like, he doesn't have a similar body type. He doesn't even have a similar role. But there is like some, some Rashawn Evans to his game, right? Where like if he's down coming downhill in a straight line, he's going to light some people up. He's going to play mm -hmm. well against the run. When you ask him to turn his back to the line of scrimmage and, and, and rotate around in coverage, it hasn't looked all that pretty. In terms of him turning into a competent starter at linebacker, which I think what they're looking for at 16, a guy that can have high-end plays, I maybe consider him a 6.5-7 um, in, that, in that tier right there. Yeah, I would probably go a six. I just, the fact that he's not cracking the starting lineup after basically being told that he was going to. And again, at 16 overall, we were a little bit lower on him in the draft process. He was later on 20s for us. Some of that's the position value of linebacker. Some of that's just like a six foot, four, 260 pound linebacker is a difficult to ask yeah. in today's NFL. <laughs> There's a reason it's, it's the position has trended far away from those types of players. So, you need a plan for a guy like that. We kept talking about it. He needs kind of a plan to be effective. And obviously that's not been necessarily the case with him this season with Cardinals being a backup. You're not going to scheme a situation for a backup, but I, yeah, I'll probably say six just because not cracking the starting lineup. But obviously Jordan Hicks is a fine linebacker, so no real shame there. 
On to 17. This is probably where the conversation starts to skew more negative. Yeah. Alex Leatherwood, Raiders first-round pick out of Alabama, drafted to play tackle, now trying to carve out a role along at guard, right guard specifically, alongside a failed tackle project in Brandon Parker. You go ahead and start with this one. Um, This is going to be the first low one. It's going to be the first below five one. Mm -hmm. And it's not saying that it's over. Over. Remember, Wilson is one. Wilson's a one. So we're not going that low. That would be ridiculous. I don't even think there's a two in this first round. But we're going three. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go three for him just because that's about as low as you'll see at the position starting in the NFL. Like, to even start a career off. He is the lowest graded starting guard. He's lower he's lower than even Jalen Mayfield, who was drafted in the third round. And now he's playing a position that he did not play last year. He's jostled between two positions, but it's just been very, very ugly. So three. But three is basically just like throw the rookie year out altogether. Yeah. He needs to anything lower than a reset. Yeah. So I I am leaning three and bordering on I mean, the the highest you'd go for Leatherwood, in my opinion, is three and a half. Like, there's not nothing from this season that you could take away and say, man, we can build off of this. Like, the only thing that's been that he's played and he's mm-hmm. added that experience. And with offensive linemen specifically, threes are borderline expected. Like, fours are borderline expected, right? Like, yeah. coming in and being a Sewell or being a Wurfs is not easy. And, and especially for a guy that's not even playing the position he played last year. Now... Some people projected him as a guard. I know Dane Brugler projected him as a guard, and he's kicked inside there. And people expected in my people had to have expected him to play better at guard, right? And mm-hmm. it still hasn't been good. Among every rookie guard that's been drafted since 2006, his PFF grade ranks the fourth lowest. That's 115 of 118. It has been as bad as it gets for the guard position among rookies. You need to burn the tape and find someone who can actually develop him into a competent starter or he looks like this in year two. That number drops like a two, one and a half, and Alex Otherwood is not your future then starting are, guard. Yeah. All right. 18, Jalen Phillips. We haven't had a lot of conversation on this show on Jalen Phillips. What has been your opinion of his play? You've seen flashes. I mean, the Carolina game I, I thought was exceptional, and now he's going up against backup tackles in that one. Um, but I th- I've been pleasantly surprised. or like I, I've seen enough to where – it's going to keep going. I, I think you're going to build momentum as he goes on throughout his rookie deal. He's definitely not Quiddy Pay. He's not Michael Parsons as a pass rusher. I think those guys have been a little bit more impressive. But I'm going to go with a seven for Phillips just wow. because the physical tools were there. And at 6'5", 266, like he's built for the NFL game. So I feel fairly confident in Phillips. Like I said, not this year necessarily being – I mean, he only has a 62.3 pass rushing grade. But I've definitely seen enough to where – in the future, I think it's going to be. There are games real. where he finds it, right? Yeah. There are games where it's like it all shows up, but it has been a bit sporadic. At least they've consistently played him at one position and have, in my opinion, done a good job of helping him improve every single week. The Carolina Panthers game, seven pressures. Even the Giants in week 13, he had five total pressures. He's got 37 on the season. This looks like a rookie campaign where he will improve in year two, will improve in year three. Injuries are like the only thing that could like really derail mm-hmm. his development. And obviously that was one of the bigger concerns for him coming out of Miami, a guy that retired from football due to injuries, now came back. Um, he's a guy that you'd expect to be better in year two and year three. I still don't know if I'd go seven, knowing that we kind of set this bar with Trevor Lawrence out of seven. Yeah. I think I'd probably lean six and a half. Six and a half, six would probably be the lowest I'd okay. go with Jalen Phillips. On to 
the eight, 19th pick overall, Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky for the Washington football team. He's played a ton of snaps this year. There has been flashes. Now, it is so hard, and we've had this conversation on the show. It is so hard to grade well at linebacker in today's NFL. You're consistently targeted. The best linebacker in the NFL allows a completion on like 80% of his targets. He's allowed a completion on 90% of his targets so far this year, 278 yards allowed in coverage. He has not had an easy opportunity to grade well in coverage and has not stood up in run defense either has been kind of beat down by second level blocks quite a bit. Now, is he still athletic? Can he still move sideline to sideline? And does he have the splash plays? Yes, but to grade well and to be productive, productive enough to be the 19th overall pick and meet those expectations, you just haven't seen that from him yet. I'm going to go low here, sadly, because he's just been wild. Yeah. Like he's just been, the game's not now, Obviously, coming from, we said he had such an easy role at Kentucky, or not easy, but like such a limited role, was not asked to do a ton at Kentucky, and that it was going to be a learning curve. But man, it's been, it's even like the things he should have been doing well, like tackling, like straight up bringing down ball carriers in space that you would think is just an instinctive or just a part of the game that doesn't necessarily go away. Once you go from the college to the NFL, he's been bad at it. He's a 43.1 tackling grade. He has 10 missed tackles on 67 attempts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go three. Three? I, I, I'm just very worried about Jamie Davis. No, I'm, I'm going four, four and a half. Okay. I, I don't feel that terribly about it. Now, part of me, I think, has this track record of like these lineback- you know, linebackers coming in and like Patrick Queen, Jordan Brooks, um, Devin Bush, guys have just like come in athletic and not graded well and not had um, you know a ton of production worthy of where they were drafted, right? Like that's always the thing. Worthy of the 19th overall pick at a low value position, Jamie Davis is not rising to that fucking billing. But you haven't even seen splash plays with Jamie Davis is the problem. Like Devin White, Patrick Queen, there was the one yeah, splash. The force fumble. Jamie Davis doesn't have a play with a plus one grade or higher this year. Oh my God. Really? Yes. Okay, I'm going three. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's just not been good. Kadarius Tony, the 20th overall pick. I'll say this. He did not start off well. And if you know the PFF grading system, it goes zeros, you're expected, mm-hmm. plus 0.5. So, like, you do a f- good play. Plus one's, like, a very good play. Plus 1.5 so like, you know, a nice Excellent pick. Play. Excellent play, too. It's, like, as good as it gets. So, that not having a play higher than a plus 0.5 is very concerning for linebacker. Kadarius Tony, his start in new york was not great like he was struggling to see the field i think he was like and often on the covid list but then you had that game against dallas where he you know he showed up big it was a you know he looked dynamic he he looks different with the football in his hands he was legitimately like what they asked him to be 10 target or 12 targets 10 receptions 189 yards no touchdowns but man was as impressive as it gets since then 36 yards against la 26 yards against Kansas City, 9 yards against Vegas, and then 40 yards against Tampa Bay. We haven't seen it since. This is, in my opinion, the type of career Tony's going to have until someone legitimately factors him in as like a focal point yeah. of the offense, right? Like he has to be schemed touches. Everyone said that coming out. He didn't. He wasn't a polished route runner coming out of Florida, but when you get the ball in his hands, holy fucking shit. That's what Kadarius Tony is. And I think until he develops and takes this maturation as a route runner forward, yeah. you're going to need to pepper him, scheme him, targets near the line of scrimmage get the ball in his hands and watch him work and the Giants don't think have done a good job of that in terms of the grade or the confidence level and him being what we expected I mean I put a, a, like a nine but in terms of him being worthy of that pick yeah it's probably closer to like a six six and a half seven so I will say this 
he this season as a rookie, you know, right out the gate, he is the single most impressive player I've seen in the NFL with the ball in their hands this year. Like more than Hill? Yes. Wow. He uh, the way he moves is out of this world. I, I think even more so than Tyreek Hill. Now Tyreek Hill may be more of a threat to, to house one, but I mean, Kerry, Darius Tony has some speed in his own right, and he just makes guys miss with ease. He broke 12 tackles on 35 catches before injuries struck. What he does with the ball in his hands is nuts. It's insane. But he also is just, like you said, just a freelance route runner still. And to get those touches has to, a lot of times, like be skinned him. He needs to get paired with someone not named Jason Garrett, basically. Um, we said shit. We said that immediately when he fucking drafted him. Like, he went to the wrong spot to be have a productive rookie season. Um, so I'm still confident, though, that that ability will manifest in ways, even if he's not a 1,000-yard type of wide receiver every year. So I'm going to go eight. Next guy on the list here, Quiddy Pay. I'm in on Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay has a 73.9 PFF grade this year. I think that's second best behind Micah Parsons among I think um, rookie defenders or somewhere in that range 30 total pressures on the year he had a really good game against the Jets 90.5 PFF pass rush grade and nine total pressures he still looks very dynamic he still looks very explosive and athletic and he's winning as a pass rusher despite very much like still maturing from a polish standpoint with his moves I think Pay. It's only a 73.9 grade so far this year. I think that gets better as he progresses. Maybe like a like a Marcus Davenport like projection in terms of development. Yeah, I'm going to so, go. What you I didn't go? give a number. I'm going to go eight. I'm going to go eight as well. I think that's very fair. And now he's, he's still not too dissimilar from the guy we saw in Michigan. Like he's not developed a ton of impressive moves overnight. But even still, it's like you still a 73.9 grade is good for a rookie. Yeah. And for him to not have seen much in the way of development i i think it's only gonna go up from here so yes i'll go eight before we get to 22 through 32 shouting out a sponsor here DraftKings. tis the season of giving and DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl is giving you a christmas present you won't want to re-gift new new customers can bet just five dollars on any of the four nfl teams playing on christmas and win 100 dollars in 50 150 dollars in free bets if they're victorious why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code pff bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win on christmas day and win 150 dollars in free bets if they're victorious that's promo code pff this christmas at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl must be 21 years or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem code 1-800-GAMBLER. Number 22, Caleb Farley. He's not played a lot of snaps. He's been hurt. Could be an incomplete situation for Tennessee, but I think he's played 60 snaps this year. Do you want to say anything on Farley? I am worried, though. Yeah, because injuries were the so, biggest thing. Injuries is a massive thing. Obviously, he had the back injury. Why he falls to 22 had torn his ACL already his freshman year at Virginia Tech, tears his ACL in week six. That's when there's sm it's a lot of smoke, mm -hmm. I'll just say, for a guy who, I mean, I mean, you take the injury risk in Jeffrey Simmons and you hit a home run, you take the injury risk Caleb Farley, it's, that's a bad start now. Very I think it's, it's incomplete with red ink, though. But that's a lot of, yeah. Incomplete with red ink and maybe a little underline, maybe a little ghoul sticker. If we're, I don't know. <laughs> if we're in first grade. <laughs> if we're in first grade, I'm putting a ghoul sticker next to this incomplete. Christian Darisaw started the season off hurt, 
some worrisome there for development. Didn't get a didn't get into the game until week five. But since then, dude, turn on the fucking Darasaw tape. He yeah. has been awesome. He has legitimately improved every single week. Playing left tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. Last night, 91.6 run blocking grade, 81.3 PFF grade, highest of his career. Darasaw is legit, dude. I am big on Darasaw. Not putting him into that Sewell Slater tier, but man, they got a slam dunk, I think, at this draft spot, right? 23, they traded back and still got a competent, what looks like to be a starter at left tackle. I think eight and a half is a good position to put Darasaw in. I like eight. I still do think pass protection-wise, work in progress. That was to be expected considering what he did at Virginia Tech. It was like a super RPO heavy offense. He was not tested a ton, not a ton of drop back passing concepts in that offense, much more now in Minnesota. And, and you saw it. Like he allowed a couple sacks to Robert Quinn yesterday. Robert Quinn's a difficult ask for even, I mean, shit, he ate Elkton Jenkins lunch earlier this year. He's a unique edge rusher in the matchups and how he wins bending the edge at his size. So I'm not going to ding him too much, but like you said, the run blocking. The games against like Carolina, where he shuts guys out, have been impressive. There's there's enough there that I'm excited about what just what he's done so far this rookie season. I'm big on Darasaw. I liked him coming out. I think he's met expectations, if not exceeded expectations, especially coming back from an injury, right? Like not given the opportunity, yeah, preseason to really work through a lot of these kinks. He's he stepped up in a big way for Minnesota. Number twenty four. This one I'm going to take twofold. Najee Harris, running back for Pittsburgh. Confidence level in him meeting slash exceeding pre-draft expectations, eight, nine. Confidence level in him, confidence level in him being valuable in this pick is like Isaiah Wilson one, one and a half. Like, did I expect Najee Harris to come in and get this many touches and break the, as many tackles as he has and gain this many yards of contact? Yes. And it hasn't been that great in terms of my preseason expectations, but in terms, but it, and in terms of actually being like a valuable pick in this spot, it's like two, maybe one and a half. Like he is not going to be, yeah. he's going to be a starting running back for the Steelers for as long as they have him. That's a fact. He's, he's, he's good. He's a good running back. But the problem is, is at 24, like they are not going to get the value of this pick, dude. Not at all compared to some of the other positions they could have targeted. I mean, Rashad Bateman's picked a couple picks later, and I would have rather had Rashad Bateman. Um, I would have rather had a lot of other players that were drafted. Later. I'm honestly a little worried, even just about him being productive NFL player like. As you said, the value proposition as running back for a first rounder, he, he looks slow. I he mean, Najee Harris, slow. in terms of the echelon of NFL running backs, is in the bottom five to ten starters in terms of actual juice and speed. Mm-hmm. And now I thought, I think Javante, I feel like Javante Williams looks slower than I remembered at North Carolina this year for the Broncos, but he's bringing tackle still on elite level. Najee Harris is not quite doing that. And yes, he doesn't have the offensive line from him, whatever, but there have been plays that have been well blocked and he doesn't have a carry longer than 23 yards all season long. Yeah. He's just not a home run hitter. And so 3.5 yards per carry, like he's good in the passing game, can make make one man miss in space, but he just is lacking the juice that I would want from, if you're drafting a guy that high, he better be top 10 type of running back potential. I don't see if not yours. I guess I I struggle with this one, right? I I guess I struggle with this one because in terms of him meeting or exceeding the Steelers' draft expectations, he's probably a four, like you said, right? Yeah. But we collectively were not super high on Najee Harris compared to others, and I don't, I don't think he's done anything we didn't expect, right? He ranks middle of the pack in force missed tackles per touch. He ranks middle of the pack in yards after contact per attempt. 
that's kind of where we saw him going. Like, we did not expect Najee Harris to be a better running back than Javante Williams. Yeah. Where did you end up having Najee Harris on the board at the end? In, like, the 70s or something. So. I, I don't. I mean, he has been a 70s-level running back, especially yeah. with the workload that he's gotten. He has been, like, more impressive as a pass catcher mm-hmm. than, like, I think people give him credit for. He's forced a ton of missed tackles. I think he leads all running backs and forced missed tackles on receptions. But still, meeting the value, this has been a I mean, disaster. So the thing is, like, yeah, he kind of forces missed tackles the way... I'm not putting this on him. Don't freak. But the way Trent Richardson, like Trent Richardson oh, was no. the lead at breaking tackles. It's over. He was, but he broke tackles at a standstill a lot of times. Like Dodgy Harris had a catch at a swing route last week against the Titans, where I think he broke three tackles and didn't gain a single yard because of it. You know, like that's mm-hmm. a kind of been his MO, or just not been his MO, but just been sort of the story of his rookie season. Is like, yeah, you can make a guy miss, but it's then he's a sitting duck after that because he just doesn't have the juice coming out of it. Next one's incomplete. Travis Etienne, I don't think, played a snap. Yeah, he had the Liz Frank prior to the season. Liz Frank prior to the season, so still incomplete there. And getting the value out of that pick is going to be difficult at 25. Urban Meyer, good job. 26, Greg Newsome, Cleveland Browns. He has been solid this year. Yeah, I'm going to go. This is going to be a high one for me. High one for you. I think he's been really good. I have not admittedly watched a ton of his All-22. I think early in the season I did, but... um, I guess give your take on Greg I'm going to go nine. Greg Newsom's right up there with Patrick Sertan from what I've seen from his Really? Yeah. Uh, he's been that good. Doesn't have the pick numbers, but I think he's been just as sticky. And dude's only 21 years old, turned 21 after the draft. He was 20 when he was drafted. Um, I've really liked what I've seen from him. 68.9 coverage grade so far this season, seven PBUs. Now he's getting banged up a little bit. Had a concussion, I believe, is why he hasn't been out the past few weeks. Had, was it ankle earlier in the season? But I think he still played great football. I am... Nine on Greg Newsom. I'm going incomplete because I have not watched enough of his film. I think I'm going to hand up, say I need to watch more Greg Newsom. I've seen the splash plays, but I need to watch more Greg Newsom. Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman started the season hurt, has played as like kind of the Ravens wide receiver one since he's gotten back. And I think you've seen a lot of the impressive polish that you saw at Minnesota. There have been games or snaps rather that where you've kind of been impressed. In my opinion, I've been impressed with what he's Mm -hmm. doing now. I think Rashad Bateman... I lean like eight for Bateman here. I think Bateman has been sick this year, and I think we'll continue to get better as more consistency at quarterback. And also, like, legitimately just, like, has to develop and stay healthy. Like, he missed it. You know, didn't didn't play a game until week six this year. Has had some, you know, two or three games over 80 yards receiving. I think Bateman gets better in year two. I'm still in on Bateman, but I'm going to go a little lower. I'm going to go seven. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that offense is just difficult. one to put up a ton of big numbers in. But I have been impressed with what I've seen. And he's been good. At the catch point as well. So we worried a little bit about the drops. Haven't been that big of an issue. Only three drops all season long. So I'm going to go seven on Bateman. Peyton Turner, one of your guys ahead of the draft. He's been incomplete. He's barely played. He's, he's barely played. Injuries. I think he's on the injury reserve right injury now. Injury reserve right now with the shoulder. So that one, incomplete. There were some flashes, though. Ten total pressures, and he's only rushed the passer 111 times in his career. I think going back and maybe watching some of those games, you'd see you'd be impressed with some of the production that he's had, but incomplete, I think, is where you'd see it. But he's not in red ink. Yeah. It's not it's not a red ink incomplete with Peyton Turner. Eric Stokes. He's kind of had a roller coaster of a season, man. I yeah. have seen a lot of Eric Stokes tape. And he's played a lot this year, and he's been leaned on a lot this year. Has an impressive coverage grade for a rookie cornerback at 67.0. He's been a lot better than probably our preseason expectations. I wouldn't put him in that Sertan tier, or I guess your Newsom no, tier, man. but... I mean, six and a half, seven. I think anything lower than six and a half, you're being kind of an asshole. Yeah, I think of all the 
sort of guys. You didn't like the Stokes pick. I was going to say, of all the guys I was low on the first round, this has been the one that I've been the most pleasantly surprised by. And now there were a number of ones we were low on in the first round. But like I said, this one, I just didn't see Stokes necessarily excelling in this defense. And now there have been some negatives. And and I don't think he's ever going to be sticky, shut down, that he didn't have, he's not that kind of guy. But he has incredible makeup speed, and that has played on multiple occasions, saved him on multiple occasions, and that's uh, something that just that's why teams draft guys like that because that doesn't go away. Yeah, you he's going to run a four three for the next five six years at least, and you know, barring catastrophic injury. So I've been impressed with him. I'm going to probably get to go seven, but obviously, like pre-draft would have been like a you know three four was where you were at with him yeah. when he got drafted 29th overall. So I'm going to go bump that up to a seven. Uh, I think he's been lost at the catch point time, still struggles to find the football. I don't think he's ever going to be a, if he ever gets four picks in a season, I'll be floored. But he's a tough guy at the line of scrimmage, and that speed has played. So I'm in Stokes 7. Number 30, Greg Rousseau, former Miami-Florida edge. He opted out of the 2020 season, has been has played a ton for Buffalo this year, was outstanding in the preseason, had a handful of splash plays, and he has been somewhat spotty as a pass rusher. Yeah. I think eight pressures against Miami, a bad offensive line, and then five pressures against Miami again, a bad offensive line, and then Carolina this past week, four total pressures. He doesn't have more than two in any other game. Mm-hmm. He has, however, been excellent in run defense. I don't think that's going away. 6'6", 260, he has the frame. And I think in Buffalo, the like he's in a great position to develop as a run yeah. defender with what they've done along that defensive line. I think he's going to be a solid, capable starter. And at 30... That, in my opinion, is kind of what they draft him for. Will he be this premier pass rusher? No, I don't think so. I'd put my confidence level on that probably at like a five, five and a half. But my confidence level on him being a capable starter, excellent in run defense, I'm leaning probably seven, seven and a half. Yeah, so of his 23 pressures, over or 25 pressures on the season, over half of them came against Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Two games. That's rough. So he, he really doesn't have pass rush moves mm-hmm. still. Like he's kind of just collapsed the pocket. Big and long. He's yeah, just big, long, collapsed pocket. And that's... A good starting point, and obviously that's translated to the run. So I'm going to go six here, okay? Because that's worrisome in terms of being a first rounder. Right? Yes, yeah, so like first rounder, a good run defender is not. You know, it's better than an alternative a guy who sucks completely. But that's not why you draft a guy at 30 overall is to be a good run defender. So I'm just going to go six. Still think he could, and has all the, has the tools to. But I'm just a little hesitant to put him in the you know quitty page here. 31, Adafe Owe, formerly Jason Owe. But he has been flashy. And I think you've seen the, you know, you compare him to Rousseau, you've seen some of the pass rush, yeah. you know, pass rush wins, right? He had a, a streak of games in weeks 10, 11, and 12, five pressures, five pressures, six pressures. Hasn't had that same level of success of late. I think that's what he's kind of going to be. That's kind of what I expected of him as a pass yeah. rusher in year one to be really exciting really dynamic and really you know um, making a difference as a pass rusher in some games but against better tackles with just kind of a one-trick pony with the speed and stuff maybe being limited i see him getting better in year two i like him a lot seven seven and a half for me yeah i'm gonna go seven he's still not quite as physically like imposing as he should be like he's still kind of not doesn't have that attacking mindset like you look at two freak athletes at penn state Micah parsons and rafael away night and day on completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of just like how they attack a block. So I still see that hesitancy, but the dude is a freak certified 42 pressures on the season. I'm going to go seven for Dafa away. 
Seven for seven a half. Oh, I like it. Seven, seven and a half. I, I like that. I think that's where I'm leaning as well. Joe Tryon Shroyinka will close out this segment mm-hmm. here. He has been, I, I think initially you see the preseason, you're like, holy shit, this guy's a monster. But I, I think maybe some overreaction there to just like how physically gifted he is. 605, uh-huh. 262, uber athletic, did not play in 2020. and has looked like a different player compared to his 2019 tape. Now, I still think there's a lot of rust being knocked off. He's also played... Kind of in an, it plays like an interesting role, a little bit of a rotational role he's there. The, hasn't he's been their able sub to, package rush. Yeah, hasn't been able to find like a legitimate rhythm there. I'm not putting him as high as I thought I was going to probably in the preseason. Yes. I like him at like a six and a half, six. Yeah, I like that call. The preseason set expectations very high because he looked and, awesome in the preseason. And the thing was, this kind of in retrospect, looking back, remember that whole Bruce Arians talking about, you know, he's he doesn't need, he were basically saying like he doesn't need any more pass rushing moves or whatever. And it's like, Watching his tape kind of needs more passers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really does. But you still see special explosiveness for a guy with his size and his length. So I'm going to go seven for him. Seven? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's going to do it for all 34 hours. We should do that more often. I kind of like that segment. It's a good segment. Maybe we should have done that at the halfway point of the year. Now, probably too late to do it again next week. But still, some exciting stuff there. That will do it for this portion of the show. What we'll do next here is listen to or... We got the bust watches. Ooh. Watch Wednesdays. Bust watch, bust watch, wash watch, and whiff watch. And then we'll get to the interviews with DeMarvin Leal and Trevor Penning. Bust watch. I made an exception here. I've only done first rounders on bust watch through 14 weeks. But we're going to go this to one's a good. non-first rounder because I got I got, actually got a call out. I don't I don't have a name in front of me of who it was. Asked me to put this guy in bust watch. And it's deserved. It is. And it's Denzel Mims, the Jets wide receiver who – a lot of people liked in the pre-draft process. Blew up the combine, ran four three nine. Blew up the Senior Bowl too. Blew up the Senior Bowl. And just like his tape Good at interview. Baylor was not what we saw at the Senior Bowl. Was not what we saw at the combine. His tape at Baylor was like fourth round tape. It was just very average. A lot of contested catches, and he has not been able to one see the football field. Getting out snapped by Keelan Cole in year two for the Jets. That's a red flag. Two even when he has, has not been able to haul in a lot of passes. has four yards on four targets in his last three games. Um, Denzel Mims, things need to change soon or else he is. I don't think it's changing. I mean, he can't see the, the field. It's a thing. Yeah. It's just the coaches are seeing him in practice and do not like what they're seeing, whether it's. If you can't crack the field in the Jets receiver room, you're, there's a problem. There's yes. an issue. Like he's struggling to see the field. He's struggling to earn targets. I mean, he's run more than 15 routes in each of the last three weeks and he has four targets and one reception for four yards it's a disaster it's a disaster for denzel mims right now i don't know if it's coming back um you hate to see it because this senior bowl and his comment was awesome we had him on this podcast i thought he was a super engaging interview i think he's a smart dude i don't know what the fuck's going on in practice so it just has not worked out for denzel mims other bust watch i like this call out by you i don't think he gets in mm-hmm. because he doesn't have the star power but i'm a huge fan of this bust watch Devin McCourty, the safety for the New England Patriots. Had another pick on Thursday night is why I threw him on bus watch. His 31st of his career to break its high with Earl Thomas to go ahead of him for, in terms of just career picks. Now, Richard Sherman leads all active players, 37 career picks, so he's a little bit behind him. But in his 12-year career, he has been a top 10 graded safety seven of those seasons, top four graded safety three of those seasons right now, 
at 34 years old, since that's the 13th highest graded safety, has not seen a noticeable dip in play whatsoever, really, of late. So could be playing two, three more years, getting that pick total up. Would that put him, if he plays three more productive years at this sort of level, would that put him in the Hall of Fame conversation? Because he's won three rings, too. And had some I don't think it will, big... man. I don't I don't think it will. I just don't think he has the star power. That's right? true. Like I don't think he does. Not a lot of guys in New England. It's weird because like I feel like mid two thousands New England, you know, when it was Richard Seymour, mm-hmm. um, Ty Law. Brewski. Those were like you knew everyone in their defense. Mm-hmm. Past decade, it's been Brady, Edelman, Belichick. Like you the defensive guys have not gotten the shine, whether it's Hightower. Or McCourty. Devin McCourty, the mainstay. I mean, Stephon Gilmore has legitimate was legitimately like a big Gilmore piece did. of that. But so Patrick yeah, Chung, <laughs> I, I would say the thing is, there's not a lot of safeties from this era. Earl Thomas might be it that are going to be end up being in the Hall of Fame. So it's an interesting Derwin. conversation. I'm saying like past of when McCourty played. So it's an interesting conversation. I would lean probably not as well. But he has been damn. He's been good. sick, though. Yeah, I think he's an underrated and, career. And what people, well, I don't want to say people forget. Fuck, you probably remember. But he started his career at cornerback. He was drafted as cornerback. Had seven picks his rookie year at cornerback, and then got switched by Bill Belichick. Like he, yeah, I'd be pissed if I was Devin McCourty. If I was playing balling out at cornerback, Bill Belichick galaxy braining him so he can pay him less just to play safety. Incredible move by Bill. Still two steps ahead of all of us. No, I'm kidding. It's probably not why, but he was very good at corner. What about when Bill drafted that Stanford safety, Jordan? I can't remember his name, but everyone, he drafted him like at the top of the second round. And like everyone's like two steps ahead. No one saw this guy in the second round, but fucking Bill. Like I didn't even play. It was the what... Illinois safety. It was the Illinois safety. Was back it? In, yeah, it was. It was like Tavon Wilson, maybe. No, I think it was a, a, a Stanford safety. Was it not? I'm looking at the Patriots draft history now. It'll be short lived. It's Tavon Wilson. Is it really? Second round. 2012. Jordan Richards, 2015, second oh, round out of Stanford. That guy was butt cheeks. <laughs> and everyone's like, he drafted Malcolm Brown, then Jordan Richards. I picked 32 okay. and 64, and I was like, oh my God. He's, he's oh, ahead yeah, of the game. Richards. Malcolm Brown, run stuffer out of Texas. Get him. And Jordan Richards, no one really saw this guy as a second rounder, but Bill Belichick knows. Both those guys didn't even like the last rookie contracts in New England. But Tavon Wilson was the one out of Illinois where everyone's just like, who? When he got picked, he was 48th overall. And then he ends up like, he played less than 700 snaps entirely. Dude, I love the Patriots career. draft history. Yeah. Cyrus Jones at 60. Derek Rivers and uh, at 83 was their first pick in 2017. Sony Michelle in the first round. Everyone's like, Bill Belichick, two, two steps ahead. You don't think you can draft running backs in the first round? Just did it. You think you're smarter than Bill Belichick? Sony Michelle is trash. Jawan Williams in the second round. Nikhil Harry. It's all fucking cheeks. I mean, he has not been a good drafter or evaluator of talent. He's a good developer of talent. That's what, like, Belichick can take bad players and turn them into like like starters ish yeah. like i don't think he's ever i mean i'm not saying bill belichick's bad I, i'm sitting here with a fucking mustache and a nike hoodie i'm like bill belichick can't evaluate talent but, but i mean relative he to the rest not of the, have rest, a good track record relative to the rest of the nfl not even just like we're not saying to us yeah we're saying relative to the rest of the nfl yeah he has not been impressive in that regard. I do feel like it's good to be self-aware on some of that stuff, though, because sometimes we get on these shows and, like, you got to go for that or you got to come down with that. I mean, it's, like, relative to the NFL, relative yes, to other that's teams. what we're saying. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying that we would go in there and do better. I would. I would love to go in there and try. I would, but I would definitely not. light up any corner. I would t- put Jordan Richards in front of me right now yeah. and fucking sauce his ass in the red zone. <laughs> no, um, I am a good red zone threat, though, I will say. I didn't drop a single pass in our flag league this year. Just saying. I'm saying. I'm just saying. I got hands of steel. Or is that a good thing? I don't know. Washed watch. 
this guy's been washed for like four years. It's an interesting wash watch. I did it because it, Tom it on Brady, the broadcast or whatever? what a crazy call out. Tom Brady, after one game, you're calling him washed? No, just David Johnson, because he turned 30. He hit the vaunted 30-year-old uh, number this past week. It's over. So the Texans running back, who was a, a key cog to the Texans' rebuild and why they, they wanted so badly that they gave away DeAndre Hopkins, has now hit 30. He's averaging 3.2 yards per carry this season. He actually averaged 4.7 last year and had 691 yards. So he wasn't necessarily washed as can be last year, but he has been, yeah, it's over. It's, it's I don't know. That was one of the worst trades in NFL history. Quinn, I don't ask for a lot in the office department. I know I have a tattoo from the office on my leg and we could probably flex that more. But for the wash segment, I think something that could be cool is season two when Michael is told not to tell the office that they're, they're, closing right because the other company is going to take over and they're going to get absorbed by stanford he comes in he says we're it's over we're screwed i think it's a good it's a good sound clip to throw in for the wasp watch i'm just saying i'm just saying next time whiff watch quinn whiff williams watch. you have in the whiff watch he is not everyone's been expecting him to like turn this corner turn the corner turn the corner turn the corner and uh not sure what's going on yeah, and i have i feel bad and, maybe putting two chets on here and bus watch and whiff watch but quinn williams at number three overall there was a legitimate conversation in 2019, at the top of the draft, Nick Bosa versus Quinn Williams. There was. That was like a debate that went down. In retrospect, comical. <laughs> yeah. Like Nick Bosa hit the ground as a top five edge defender in the NFL. Quinn Williams has not at any point sniffed a top five defensive tackle in the NFL. And this year, 64.0 overall grade. Like, and now some of that is he's just a very up and down player. Like, you don't watch his tape. And they're like, he's just not making an impact. Now, he makes an impact, but then he also then makes a negative impact and has some ugly plays on his tape. He can still, you still see the flashes, still see the high end. But man, has, like you said, never taken that next step. If you had the number three overall pick in that draft, you definitely want to do over for what he's brought to the table the last 100%. three seasons. You can't, I'm not putting him on bust watch. I'm not putting him on whiff watch. But there has been a player that we have somehow not talked about at all this season that has not played well. And he was like a big, there was a lot of conversation on like whether or not this player was worth a top 10 pick. Derek Brown. We have not talked about Derek Brown. We did. We did we? We talked about him once at one point. Derek Brown has been not good this year. No. Like legitimately not good. Doesn't have more than three pressures in any single game and he has a sub 60.0 PFF run defense grade. Last year he had a 54.1. This year it's a 59.3 in run defense. He has not been by any sense worth that top 10 pick and i feel like we're just like overlooking it like we're overlooking it even though like i remember like having him slip outside the top 15 of a mock and yeah. people who stand for Derek brown want to be dead on the street and his whole thing was like nfl readiness too because he was a senior and it's like look how physical he is and the weird thing was always to that conversation was like all his reps all his best reps were like i guess a lot of guys best reps but he was good one-on-one -on -one. He legitimately, even at Auburn, struggled against double teams. Like, he could get taken off the ball in college against double teams. And if you're going to draft a DT top 10 for a guy who is primarily a run defender, and that's, why I think, why they drafted him, shit, you better be holding up the double teams. You better look like goddamn Jordan Davis does when he gets double teamed. So, yeah, I mean, Derek Brown, even as just, like, in run defense, even making plays, 21st among defense tackles and run stops, but a lot of that's because he was played a lot, his run stop percentage is outside the top 50 for defensive tackles right now. So like he's not even like even just counting stats. You know if you don't trust PFF grades, there's not a lot 
there so far, sadly. I mean, I think the biggest don't trust PFF grades. Have you heard his fucking name this year? You know, like like you yeah. drafted a no, he's drafted number seven overall. You have to be he has to be an impact player. Like yeah. he has to he has to be and at least for him, he's played a lot of snaps. Five hundred and forty snaps played. I remember there was a conversation about like how often he's gonna be on the field and stuff like that. He's played a lot of snaps, the stamina has been there, but he has not been all that impactful, right? As a pass mm-hmm. rusher or in run defense, which is where you need him to show up, especially, man, if he's gonna play. And what, what what's been weird for me is he's not he has not played a ton of nose this year. And I thought he was really impressive last year on the nose. And he has not played a ton of nose this well, year. Well, it's pass rusher, but again, I think they're not putting him on the nose because double teams. Yeah. And straight up like trying to avoid him. Fair enough. Last part here, first round lock. You only got a couple more left. Ooh. How many more left do you have? Yeah, what did I say? I was gonna go up until Two more. So mm-hmm. Two more after this. This is 18th. 18th first round lock. I'm not going to read them all. We'll read them all when I get to 20. Okay. But 20, you got to stop. Because you keep going, you're going to look stopping. like a fool. Yeah, so there's... You're going to look okay, like so a 21. fool. I'm not going to look like a fool. I'm just going to miss a couple. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm pretty good about all these. Like I said, the one I feel probably the worst amount is DeMarvin Leal. Yeah. This one, though, I feel good. Uh-oh. It's a very good. Barring injury checks. Combine injury check. And it's Drake London. USC wide receiver. I like that. He has surefire first round tape. Should he be healthy? What just is us. your opinion? We don't, we haven't talked about Drake London ton lately, just because got he got hurt. But there are some Mike Evans comps being thrown around. No, okay, the Mike Evans comp is incorrect. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, I love when you say sorry. God damn it. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, everyone who wants to make the Mike Evans comp. Yes, they are both six foot five and light skinned. I get it. They look similar. They are not similar players. Mike Evans is much better deep speed at like Mike Evans ran like a four five three. I want to say coming out of Texas A and M uh, was like two hundred twenty five, two hundred thirty pounds and could run in a straight line. He could not break a tackle to save his life. Half of Drake London's like half of Drake London's appeal is you can't bring this guy down. He's a glorified tight end after the catch and how difficult it is for safeties, cornerbacks. He has forty nine broken tackles in his career on one hundred sixty catches. That is an insane rate for a receiver that tall. That is. For me, but that what that sort of skill set reminds me of Brandon Marshall. There's a count. Oh wow, That's the count I like that comment. Brandon Marshall could not bring that dude down as catch. Brandon Marshall ran like a four six two coming out of UCF. Brandon Marshall was not that dynamic an athlete, but Brandon Marshall caught eighteen balls in a game, or was it was it did he get to twenty one game in Denver with Jay Cutler because couldn't touch that dude in a slant you could not like he could you could be hanging on his back and he'd catch the ball three feet away from you because he's six foot five that is the skill set that drake leonard brings to the table is that it consistently can move the chains one-on-one not gonna be a deep speed guy but i don't even think mike evans is that consistently move the chains one-on-one guy he's far more of an explosive downfield type of wide receiver drake london brandon marshall is the cop i think my favorite thing about drake london's tape this past year or like even just like drake london's like production this past year and i love the brandon marshall comp that's fucking awesome brandon marshall was awesome is they threw his way every fucking play and they had no answers like with a contested catch guy that can't create separation these are his stat lines before he got hurt or his targets 18 13 13 20 18 13. this dude was getting targeted legitimately on like every other passing down and still went over like 80 yards in every game he played every game he played went over 80 yards he was phenomenal this past my year. favorite thing about london's tape was that he was phenomenal and usc still sucked yeah and slovis was struggling i mean there was it was that was my favorite thing <laughs> he goes for 171 against notre dame it doesn't even matter that was, that was my favorite thing your Notre Dame. Someone commented on the YouTube that your Notre Dame homerism is getting toxic. Sucked it. 
All right, let's get out of this one. Let's go to these interviews with Marvin Leal, a guy that you're even wavering on being a first-round lock. Wait till you hear this interview. And then Trevor Penning of Northern Iowa, one of my favorite interviews this year. Honestly, he was fucking awesome. Super funny guy, uh, good guy to have on the show. He watches Saw before games. <sighs> wow. It's a scary motherfucker. Yeah. I'm excited, though. I'm excited for you guys getting oh this interview. DeMarvin Leal and Trevor Penning, let's get it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal. DeMarvin, I've been meaning to get you on this show for a long time. Your game is some of the most impressive in all of college football. You are a rare size athleticism combination, 6'4", 290, comparable to guys like Cameron Jordan in the NFL. Guys that play on the inside and on the outside have this rare dominance to their size athleticism ratio. Leal, great to have you on the show. Appreciate you joining. Thank you very much for having me. Where I want to start is you have a pretty insane recruiting background in high school, you know, career, right? Like you come to Texas A&M as the big dog on campus, former five-star coming out of Texas, offers from every Blue Blood program in the country. You had to feel like, what was that high school experience like, right? Like there are a lot of guys that are two, three-star recruits that develop into these stars. You have been a star from the jump. What was your high school experience like? And I guess walk me through some of these, I'm sure, insane recruiting stories that you had on these trips to these Blue Blood programs. Um, you know, high school was crazy. I had uh, unbelievable teammates, you know, and uh, came from uh, unbelievable culture as well. Converse Judson, you know, there's a... Unbelievable tradition there, and that culture itself is just crazy to be in, and uh, very blessed to be part of it as well. So, you know, coming up, you I had guys like Alton Robinson that was um, basically like a big brother to me, and uh, he taught me certain things about the game, pass wise, and just how to be violent. And uh, you know, over the years, I just learned that for myself and learned my game, and everything just came together. That, that's uh, not surprising. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, you obviously you're able to hit the ground running right at Texas A&M. You play right out of the gate over 400 snaps played in 2019 and really saw your game improve significantly in this 2020 campaign where you're given a, a lot of opportunity to play um, a lot along the defensive lines, fit to your strengths and those things. What has the you know, development at Texas A&M been like for you, right? What have been some of the key moments in your development there where you felt that you've seen some of the most success uh, over the course of your career? Uh, you know, we had a, a great coaching staff with Coach Schmidt and, uh, you know, the rest of the coaching staff and, you know, um, in the weight room. It all started, like, off season. you know, getting in the weight room, running, and, you know, all of that translated to just how much I, I could stay in the game. And, mm -hmm. and it was able to keep me at a, a good strength to be able to go inside and out. Yeah, I think that versatility is something I wanted to talk about as well, right? In 2019, played a lot on the edge, and then this past, or no, 2020, played a lot on the edge, winning at, you know, a head up or outside the tackle. And then this past year, you played up and down the line of scrimmage. I'm sure that is both obviously awesome for you to get that experience, but also a little bit of a challenge, right? You're having to learn different shades, different techniques, how you, you know, how you play a guard is way different than you, how you play a tackle. Um, is that versatility is something that you still want to, you know, uh, you know, prioritize as you go into your career and get to the NFL? Cause obviously there is this infatuation with guys like yourself that can play up and down the line of scrimmage. Yes, sir. You know, um, going in the inside, you know, you have to learn how to like actually, you know, prepare for a combination block and be able to beat it as well. 
And um, there's just lots of times where it's just being a defense and defense was completely different. But, you know, I was still able to do it because throughout the week we prepared, you know, a lot for it. So I would start off inside, then just go outside. And, you know, it just became a habit. And I've learned over the season just how much of an impact I can be inside and out. Are, are there guys in the NFL, I know I brought up Cameron Jordan just because he's a little bit of a size similarity, but are there guys in the NFL that maybe in the offseason or even when you have opportunities in season, you like to watch film of and, and take some of their game? Or, some, or Who are some of your favorite guys to watch in the NFL? Um, definitely J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, you know, Cameron Jordan, like you said, and uh, just watching those guys and just watching their technique, their takeoffs, uh, definitely their takeoffs. And uh just basically just how they switch their pass rushes up just to beat the man in front of them, depending mm -hmm. on if it's inside or out. That pass rush move versatility, so important for a guy like yourself that does play up and down the line of scrimmage. I think highlighting that as something that you want to prioritize and, and see in other NFL guys is not super surprising as well. I think that's outstanding where you're heading there. I want to focus also uh, on this season specifically and then how that film study maybe changes in season. I know in the trenches, offensive line versus defensive line, it's kind of like a chess match, right? You have to set up moves, counter different things. You can't just throw the same thing at guys. And I feel like that is a game within a game itself. What do you look for on film when you're, you know, you're watching in an opponent offensive line, you're looking at an opposing guard or an opposing tackle? What tendencies do you look for? What are all these things that you look to pick up on tape? You know, being in the SEC, you know, you have good uh, offensive tackles and guards as well. So just being able to pick up the different types of sets because, you know, some offensive linemen, they have more than just one set. And then also just how like pre-snap keys, like how tight the splits are, are they heavy on their hands, are they uh, light on their hands, are they, are their feet like leaning, you know, and sometimes even just the helmets gave it away, just the way they leaned their helmets in, showing which direction they were going. You know, it was just a lot. And um, having to watch from the center all the way to the tackle on both sides, so I really had to pay attention to the whole line and just how they all, how they come together, how they work together just to be able to beat the combination blocks or, you know, uh, make sure I know when a zone is coming or counter. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, playing in the SEC and getting that opportunity to go against, you know, some of the best offensive linemen in all of college football. Are there any names? And it could even be guys that you played on your own team, right? Like Kenyon Green is another really talented offensive lineman that I'm sure you've had some battles with in practice. But who are some guys or names that come to mind when you think of some of the best challenges you've had in your college football career? I definitely say Kenyon Green is number one. You know, we'll be in practice. He'll switch up his sets like two or three times and – you know, he's a real guy that you really have to go through and just be able to set yourself up play after play, no matter if you're inside or out, because, you know, he plays all five positions yeah. as well. Kenyon Green's another one of those guys too, right? Where like this year he's played, I think, over 50 snaps at left guard, left tackle, right guard, and right tackle. He was kind of in a similar boat as you in that he can do anything. And I think he's going to be another one, like yourself, another one of these coveted, versatile um, linemen in this upcoming draft. I, I, focusing more on kind of your outlook moving forward, what are you prioritizing right now as you get into the early, you know, early, you know late season, early offseason process? Are there certain things that you have high on your mind in terms of goals you want to accomplish, areas you want to improve, things you want to train for as you approach which is obviously going to be a hectic pre-draft season. Yeah, you know, um, 
it's basically the same focus as you know last uh, last off season, like um, pass rush. You know, I have to live it, and I felt like I did a pretty good job being able to develop in my pass rush game and be able to have more sacks throughout the season, and um, just being able just to go out there, you know, in the NFL and just give QBs a hard time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the name of the game when it all comes when it's all said and done is giving quarterbacks a hard time. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is your relationship specifically with Jimbo Fisher. Man, this guy is putting on an absolute clinic on the recruiting trail. I think he has five of the top eight recruits going to Texas A&M in 2022. He is legitimately changing the program there at Texas A&M. What is your relationship with Jimbo? And I guess speak to what he's doing for Texas A&M. You know, when Jimbo first, you know, moved to Texas A&M, he said one thing, that he was going to change the culture. And, you know, we guys, us guys as athletes, you know, that were at a and we helped them change, change the program as well. And, you know, when you go to Kyle Field and when you go to A&M, you just, you can feel that the atmosphere is different. It's a different type of culture. It's a different type of vibe that you get when you go there. And, you know, for... All the recruits that came in, they they understood what we were what we we're building and what was built. You know the foundation of it and the culture that we've put together. You know even through adversity throughout the season, like we still have that solid like chemistry and culture. And so being able to, you know, look at your brother and tell him when he's right or wrong, you know that that goes a far far away. And just having people that has it back, you know, it's a family atmosphere over there. So that's basically, you know, why recruiting is so well right now because they tell that it's not just the business, like it's mm-hmm. family, and yeah. everybody's going to have it back there. I, I think the you know culture. I talked to a lot of college coaches. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to Jimbo yet, but talking to some of these coaches that are trying to change programs around. You think about Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri, PJ Fleck at Minnesota now. I mean Tom Allen at Indiana. These guys are pushing culture more than anything, right? And then, yeah, football is an X's and O's game, but you have to have buy-in in this culture. And it sounds like, especially hearing from you, which obviously a leader on this program in this program. He's doing that. He's he's really moving Texas A&M culture forward. Another thing I had to get your opinion on from this past season, beating Alabama. You had five total pressures in that game. That had to have been – I mean, that might – Can I? am I crazy to think that's a top three moment in your life? I mean, that has to be one of the Definitely. craziest things ever. Talk to me about that game specifically, <laughs> fans storming the field, all of that. I want the full story. Okay, so, you know – when you're recruiting, when you're in middle high school, middle school, no matter what it is, you're like, dang, like, Bama. Like, <laughs> imagine playing for Bama. No, I didn't have that thought. I had imagined beating them. You know, and <laughs> I love that. I, that's why I went to him. Like, I want to, you know what I'm saying, help build something and take down a big dog, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like my, like, a personally that I can help contribute to you know, changing the program and being able to become one of those top tier programs in within the conference. And so being being Bemo was basically part of the plan all along. You know, there was a lot of X's X's against us going into that game and just coming out and we're all doing our jobs and it was just it was amazing really. And Man. you know, uh, it was really amazing. And just the like just the immediate responses, you know, you know how they get Get into the end zone. We got kickoff return the next play. 
You know, yeah. it's just being able to respond on all three parts of the game, uh, offense, defense, special teams. That's basically what the key to it was, and just being very physical. And, you know, um, man, I was standing up when the kick, when the field goal had went in, and I was <laughs> like, I couldn't even storm the field myself. I was just sitting there, like, kind of shook just because, like, it finally happened. Yeah. And, you know, gave you that same type of floating Florida feeling from 2020 because of the same exact score. Yeah. And, Man. you know, it came a field goal. And so it was just like a wow. And so just being able to see everybody storm the field, just celebrate with us that moment, it was just unbelievable. Man, I wish I was at that game. It looked insane, and I'm so happy. I mean, you were recruited by Bama, man. You turned them down. You went to Texas A&M to beat Bama, and you pulled off there in your last year at that Texas A&M. I'm sure you have a lot of. I was, of... A, I, was a, I was a recruit, a committed recruit when I went to Bama. I was committed mm-hmm. to Texas A&M, and all those guys. Oh yeah, I'll never beat us. Was all four years that you go, all three years, four years, you're never gonna beat us. I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> It's deadly. It's cutthroat there, man. That's phenomenal, dude. I'm so happy for you. That's phenomenal. I'm sure you have a lot of big wins left on your schedule, man. You are a phenomenal player and a phenomenal interview to Marvin. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. God bless. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current UNI offensive tackle, one of the most decorated players I think we've had on this show, All-American, Hero Sports, AP, FCS, ADA, Stats Perform. You are cleaning up with the All-American Awards, All-American Honors, and it's all well-deserved, Trevor. Great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Where I want to start, man, I got to be honest, some of these numbers, six foot seven, you're in that 330, 340 range. I think we talked a little bit before the show. And these athletic testing numbers, these weight numbers are thrown around here. Squat 625, cleans 385, size 17 shoe, all from Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. I mean, how much have those numbers gotten better over the course of the career? When did you really start to prioritize the weight room? Like, I need to hear more about just how you've really developed into what will be, I'm sure, when we get to Indy, when we get to the combine, one of the most athletic offensive tackles in this draft. Yeah, so my actual weight, I mean, I've, I've seen three, I think 321 I've seen. I've seen 340. Uh, I've seen it all, any, anything in between. But um I think my I think this year I played around 335. I started the year about 340. Uh, dropped a little bit of weight just from probably not lifting seven to eight times a week, but uh, um, played at about 335, maybe a little bit under for the most of the season. Um, now now I'm kind of around the uh, low 330s mark with uh, you know just all this training and stuff uh, getting into. So uh, yeah, so about that. And then with the shoe size, yeah, that's. 17s, yep. <laughs> Wear that like a badge of honor. Love that. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the squat, 625, that's that's right. Um, the clean, 385, yep. Um, what other numbers were there? I mean, four. I saw, I saw like high four nines, maybe low five, 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 oh, 40-yard dash. I haven't seen any short shuttle three-cone stuff. I'm excited for that. No, but, I, uh, know, I know back, um, I think it was my redshirt freshman year, mm-hmm. Um you know, I was probably about 315 still back then, but I know I broke the you and I all time uh LGL record at 737 or 747. Oh wow. Wow. It was either 737 or 747. But um I did I did that my freshman year. I was still or true or uh redshirt freshman year, so my second year mm-hmm. um in the summer, and um I broke that. And um honestly, I think I've I still I still could do that 
to this day. I mean, I'm probably even better, honestly, with all the strength and, you know, agility games I've done over the past five years uh, I've been at UNI. So, um, yeah, for the most part, those numbers are pretty much correct. That's awesome, man. Those numbers are phenomenal. A big reason why I think you know, a lot of people will be you know, speaking to your name here in the pre-draft process. I want to turn back the clocks a little bit, too, and talk about your high school career, right? You know, you had, I think you played a lot of basketball. You played some track and field and obviously played uh, a football there. I think Clear Lake, Iowa is what I saw. Three-sport athlete. What positions did you play for the football team? Was it just offensive line? Did you get on the defense side of the ball? And then I need to know the type of basketball player you were. Were you down low, bully ball? I've seen the videos of you dunking. Were you, are you hitting three balls from the corner. I need to know the type of basketball player you were too. Well, first things, there's definitely no three balls in my basketball <laughs> game. I can, I can tell you that right now. I not Same. Shoot basketball. I'm not, a, I was not a shooter whatsoever, but um, so a football team, um, I mean, I wasn't, wasn't big in high school. Like I, I, I think I was 5'10", 170 as a, uh, as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew a lot um, during high school and even college, but I think, um, mostly for high school, I played um, tight end for the first part of my high school career. Mm-hmm. Didn't really catch the ball too much, though. I, <laughs> we, we ran the ball a lot, but uh, played tight end, um, defensive end. Um, I played a little D tackle, I think. Um, so, I mean, it was a small high school. It was like we're just a step up from class or uh, eight man football. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we were a very small high school. So, I was, I was still like, one of the biggest guys in this, on the field. I but, hope um, so, man. If you have yeah, more yeah. people bigger than you, that'd be pretty insane. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, yeah, I played tight end and DN, I think, my junior year and, like, sophomore year. Senior year, I moved to O-line fully. I was our, like, pulling guard almost. Like, I pulled 70% of the plays. and Wing T or something? Or what did you guys run? Um, yeah, it, it was a little – it was wing T-esque. It was, like, gotcha. a little bit of – a little bit of uh, – a little bit of uh, everything, pretty much. But, um, yeah, so my senior year, I played pulling guard, played defensive end also, played every special team. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So, then yeah. basketball, obviously played post. No <laughs> no other option. Um, uh, shoot, what else? Uh, track, you said track. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, just, I, I did track my junior and senior year. Um, I did shot and disc, obviously. Yeah. But uh, yeah. nothing. And the four by fat can't can't forget that we had a uh, <laughs> the, four. It was a four. It was literally the last race of the night. It was called the four by fat. It was just a four by one with all the throwers. And yeah. um, you know, I was really the only one that was um, big. Like all the other guys were like little scrawny. Like they were just throwing, just kind of the throats. We didn't. We needed someone, but uh, yeah. um, we'd always do that. And um, you know, I'd hold my I'd hold my weight. I think with uh, running. I mean. So um, that's what I did. I also played baseball when uh, until my sophomore year, sophomore year. um, I was actually an outfielder. Crazy enough. Mainly DH though. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. uh, Hitting bombs off the. Not much of a fielder, but uh, (laughs) that was that was when I was younger. I mean, I didn't really take baseball too serious, but um, yeah, those are those are all the sports I played. I also wrestled a year, I guess, but I got. That was my sophomore year I wrestled, actually. And mm-hmm. um, I, I 
grew about five inches. So uh, I think basketball was the right choice for me. Yeah. I mean, wrestling too, right? And football, you're looking to add weight. And wrestling is like they're encouraging to drop and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's always yeah. a little bit yeah. difficult. Um, yeah. You play all these sports, right? And you're, you know, obviously, you know, good size, this athleticism, all that stuff. But you weren't heavily recruited coming out of clearly, you know, coming out of high school. I remember I saw a quote from you, I think about, you know, you grew up a handful of, you know, a couple hours away or maybe like 30 minutes away from Ames and you weren't recruited by Iowa State. You weren't recruited by some of these schools that were close to you. What was the recruiting process like for you? And I guess how much did it, I'm sure, build this kind of chip on your shoulder going into college? Um, yeah, there's not much attention. I mean, I, I think I got attention starting like actual like people talking to me, like Division two coaches, probably spring spring of my it would have been it was spring of 2017 so or 2016 my bad uh going into my senior year so I was still a junior but the next football season was a senior year mm -hmm. um yeah I got a couple a couple messages from like division three division two schools um and you and I was actually one of them you and I was I think the only FCS school maybe I think South Dakota might have been too but those are the, the those are the two schools FCS schools that ended up offering me and um, uh, yeah I think spring of my spring of my junior year going into my senior year I got some attention and I didn't actually get offered till after my senior year probably like I think it was November or something late late November they offered me and uh, yeah just going going I wasn't wasn't heavily recruited at all I don't think I ever even talk to Iowa or Iowa state at all. Like they, wow. didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't, they didn't talk to me one bit. I don't think I got a single, single recruiting visit, single message or anything. I just flew under the radar, I guess. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Somehow, somehow flying under the radar at six foot seven, six foot seven, 350 pounds um, going into your Northern Iowa career. I think, you know, you, you read your right. And then you spend like the entire year just weightlifting and prioritizing, adding weight and adding strength and all that. Then you start to get some opportunities in 2019 play, I think over 800 snaps that season. You already see some growth as a pass protector there COVID impacted season. You only played 376 snaps, obviously a lot of factors go into that year. And then you look at this past year, you know, one of the highest grades of your career, according to PFF for the highest PFF pass blocking grade, highest run blocking grade, you really, in my opinion, put this all together. And I think it's the, when you look at the tape, it is a freakishly athletic, huge person that is now honing its craft, you know, honing your craft as one of the more polished football players there at UNI, there in college football. I guess speak to how much you feel you've improved over the course of your career at Iowa. And then also, you know, what all went into really this breakout season for you this past year, if you feel like it felt like a breakout season. Um, yeah, over over my career, I've uh, you know, I've improved insane like every year I feel like I've gotten better and better and better. And um, I think honestly, it's going to keep improving too. Like I'm, I don't think I'm even close to the surface of what, or close to the, you know, kind of where I can be. I think I have a ton of improvement I can do. Um, and uh, just going year by year, I, I think I've kind of proven that, that I can keep getting better and better. And um, yeah. So going back to my like freshman year, it was just kind of, it was not much football. It was more, getting the right strength. Cause I was probably 260, 270 walking into the building. Um, you know, I was not nearly strong enough. I don't think. Um, so, you know, putting all the hours of, uh, work in the weight room and, um, just eating right. Uh, 
yeah. putting all that, all that, uh, you know, protein in you. We had, we had something called uh, jungle juice, not the jungle oh, no. juice. Think of. I need to it hear was, this jungle juice. What was it? Uh, well, I did it my freshman and reg- going, it was like, re- it was my freshman year and like a little bit of my summer going into my second year, redshirt freshman year. It's basically just, it's literally just whey protein and uh, Gatorade. It's oh literally, God. it's not, it's nothing crazy, but it's like <laughs> all the skinny guys that need to gain weight did it. Like I know Spencer and Ellerson both did it because <laughs> they were, they were smaller than me. So they were, they would do that. And some guys even have to do it for practice. I luckily did not have to do that, but that stuff will, you will throw that stuff up. So yeah, that <laughs> sounds like a death sound. I mean, it sounds worse than the jungle juice people cook up in the tubs. That sounds heavy. No, it, that, it, that'll it, sit it, in your stomach serious. like a rock. Oh, no, man. it does. It does. Cause yeah. Cause we would drink it during workouts and stuff and it would just be like, Ew, stomach's uh, kind of feeling it a little, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that, I think that, uh, that stuff and, and uh, eating right. I think that's definitely helped me, uh, you know, make all these gains in the weight room and um, on the field even. So um, yeah, going, my freshman year was basically just all, all uh, just weight room and building strength and muscle and, you know, going into my first spring was kind of when I got introduced to kind of knowing the, knowing the playbook, playing mm-hmm. actual football. And uh, yeah. So I think over the years it's, it's, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten better every year. I think I got tons of improvements and uh, yeah. Speak, speak to a little bit, you know, I think the the jungle juice is phenomenal, but I'm sure you're also in, a technician in, the, the film room. And I'd love to hear kind of what your process has been and how it's improved when you're looking at an opposing edge rusher or opposing defense, what tendencies you look for. And I guess how much you factor that into your preparation in a game week, how, how much you prioritize film work. Uh, film work's huge for me. I mean, uh, I mean, it has to be, you have to be able to, you know, know your opponent, the guy lining up across from you along with knowing the defense they run. Um, you know, whenever I look for in a defensive lineman, a defensive end specifically, um, you know, at first I want to I want to know what they're doing for pass because I think that's kind of the thing that is most important to me. That oh, I absolutely. Need to, like, so I need to figure out whether they're, uh, you know, a, a bull guy, a speed guy, um, you know, how much they weigh, what, what's their size, how they're how twitchy are they, um, you know, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. And um you know, that's that that was a huge uh, thing I would do before, like literally the day after our games, like it'd be like Monday or Sunday or Monday. I would go on, go on, go on my phone. We had a uh, app that we could watch our film on. And, uh, you know, I just I would scout the DMs, um, make some notes, um, do all that. Um, also figure out kind of what defense they play. You know, are they at odd front, even front? Um, how do their safeties play? How do their corners play? Mm-hmm. Um you know, just all of that really um, was very important. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, I think a real big part of, uh, you know, of my success. I want to talk a little bit about how you're preparing for the senior bowl. I know you accepted that invite and that is, have been, and you, I'm sure you're well aware and everyone in your camp is well aware, such a huge opportunity for guys like yourself coming from, you know, FCS programs that can go to the senior bowl and go against these, you know, power five, some of the top players in the country. Before we get to that, I got one more comment on this past season. I was reading an article and I got to read this quote to you and I need this reaction. This is from your offensive line coach, Ryan Clanton. We treat 
already know what it is. It's, I, it's what, it is. I, I read this, Trevor, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Am I, should I be worried to talk to this guy? You sound like a serial killer in this quote. Well, I'll read it to you right now. We treat him like a mythical creature. He watches Saw on his phone before games. We treat him like Bigfoot and we don't look him in the eye. Should I be scared? That's the question. That's the question. Should I be scared? Walk me through why you watch Saw, which is a great film. It kind of got destroyed with the series with how many movies they made, but the first one was good. And I guess why, why are people talking about you as a mythical creature? I need to know what Clint's talking about here. <laughs> well, the Saw thing first. The Saw thing was like kind of a, it was, a, what was it? It was the, we had a game. So it was Halloween. Halloween was on a Friday night. Okay. Or no, Thursday night. It was about a Thursday night. It was Halloween. And um, I was like going through Netflix and I was just like, oh shoot, they got Saw here. I've never seen it before. I've always wanted to see it. Watched it. It was great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I watched it. Though. So I was like, shoot, I want to watch Saw 2 and 3 and all of them. You know, I watched that for the bus ride because we had to go to Illinois State and Normal. So that was like, five-hour bus ride or so so oh my gosh I, I was i had it on my phone i was watching the second saw and one of our center at the time he was sitting behind me um he looks at he looks at my phone he's like what are you watching i'm like uh saw he's like oh my god you're a psychopath i'm like what I mean, like, it's not a big deal but uh, then he, had, he had to tell everyone and it was like the funniest like inside joke almost and yeah uh yeah so that's that's what that's from but uh i i, I did watch like i think five saw movies on that whole trip so i watched oh my gosh time. you grinded those out <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i watched i watched them on the way there then after the game i watched like another two it's two and a half i think it was i finished it at home or something but um i watched that so that's where that came from mm -hmm. uh bigfoot i don't know Bigfoot maybe came from, I mean, I wear size 17 shoes. So that's yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm just kind of a giant human. But uh, uh, what else? Like mythical creature? I I don't know. Just, yeah. I guess I'm a scary well, guy. Well, but... it, feel, it feels like it was overblown, right? It, you read that quote and you think like you like headbutt lockers before games. And shit. Oh. And it's like, but you sound like a nice guy, Trevor. I got to be honest. You sound like a nice guy. I'm not I'm not too worried. I'm going to look you in the eyes and I feel pretty good about it. Let's close with yeah, it. Go ahead. I think I think that he definitely blew it out of proportion. Uh, <laughs> I he, I think he apologized to me for it because he was just like, "By the way, I'm sorry for that quote or whatever." Like it just kind of it kind of just came out. I'm like, "That's all right. I don't even. I it doesn't bother me." I don't think it'll be the last you're hearing of it, right? I think the senior no, will pick it up. You heard on like the NFL Network broadcast. I think that one's going to run pretty rampant. Oh, yeah. Um. We'll, we'll close with this, Trev. I don't want to waste too much of your time. I really appreciate you jumping on. Got the Senior Bowl coming up. I just want to hear from you kind of what your goals are going into that big week and maybe even speak to kind of what your goals are and how you're approaching this offseason. It's going to be a hectic one. We talked a little bit about that before getting into the show. It's going to be crazy. Got combine, I'm sure. Bowl games, you know, the bowl coming up, uh, the Senior Bowl coming up. It's got a lot going on. How are you kind of entering this headspace and uh, I guess what your goals are for pre-draft season here? Um, my goals going in are just honestly get drafted as high as I, you know, pretty much can. So mm -hmm. I want to, I want to absolutely, you know, dominate this uh, process as um, I think I'm able to, you know, being able to do. So, um, you know, going in the senior bowl, I know I've, I've started prepping down in Frisco, Texas here last, last two Wednesday. And, um, yeah, just getting ready for that senior bowl. I think that's going to be a big part of, uh, you know, my um, draft stock. I think, uh, 
you know, going down there and showing I can compete with the uh, all these FBS guys, whether it's SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, you know, showing that, I think that can really help. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing that, you know, doing doing some stuff down here that um, will help me, you know, prepare for that is definitely great. And I think uh, going into it, I, I should – I should be able to have full confidence uh, going into it and being able to just, you know, play, play, uh, play my kind of football. Love that, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. We'll be down there at the senior bowl. Maybe we'll catch up in person, watch some saw movies together, but Trev, this is fantastic. (laughs) I really appreciate the time. And like I said, best of luck moving forward. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of tailgate. Make sure you rate review and subscribe to the podcast until next time. Austin Gale, Mike Reiner, tailgate.